Not safe for network. I'm Biggs. I'm Brandon. And I'm Carl. Let's start out with a quick little news nugget. So the final season of Better Call Saul, they announced that Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston are finally going to be in it. It is going to premiere April 18th. So next week. Yeehaw. I am so looking forward to it. Am I the only one that's really done the Saul run here? Yeah. Yeah. I got through three or four seasons. and haven't quite caught up. Yeah. Yeah. We had somehow left off before the fifth season was over and I knew it, but I wasn't sure where. So we rewatched the fifth season over the last week and it turned out that we had watched seven of them. (laughs) So we rewatched the first seven, but it was like good to catch up and like remind myself, fuck that show is good. It's so good, man. And it's so many people that were in Breaking Bad now because when it starts out, you just occasionally get somebody outside of Saul and Mike Ehrmantraut. But as the seasons go on and the meth trade thing becomes embroiled with Mike Ehrmantraut and later Saul, you get more and more of the players. So we've had Gus Fring for a couple of seasons. We've got the Samaka brothers or however you said the twins. They show back up eventually. You get Hector before he like rings his bell and we find out what happened to him that made him have to like be in the wheelchair where he's ringing the bell. That's the only like origin story kind of thing that it really does. He was worse, dude. As bad as he was in that chair with that bell. Because if you remember Breaking Bad, he was a fucking pain in the ass with that bell. He is like 20 times worse in the show when you see him. But anyway, so I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if this constitutes as news, but we were talking off mic last week about that Saturday Night Live sketch where they had the short ass movies. (laughs) So Netflix started a section called the short ass movies section. Mm -hmm. So you saw this? Yeah. Yeah. So some of the movies on there, Stand By Me, Zoolander, Gifted Hands, The Ben Carson Story, Monster (laughs) House, Final Destination, Monty Python, The Holy Grail, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Delta Farce, and He's All That. So short ass (laughs) movies. No earnest movies that I could see. They must not have the rights to them. They used to have all of the Ernest movies. Yeah, I think those are like in the Smithsonian now. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody left them there. (laughs) They're like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, they're not in an exhibit. They're just like (laughs) in a closet somewhere. In the lost and found. (laughs) (laughs) So that's news. That's all I had. What do you guys? That's barely news. I know. Well, do you got more? This will count as my news. Instead, it's going to be ranting about a review that I saw. So I saw a review of Moon Knight, and it kind of perfectly described the kind of uh, person, like the kind of fan that I feel like has no business actually reviewing a movie like this or a TV show or like of like this. So give them a platform. <laughs> well, it's okay. The title of the article is... <coughs> Moon Knight has killed my interest in Marvel TV shows. Here's why. First off, shit ass title. That's not a journalistic title in any rare, in any scope of imagination. Do something, you know? What that does is people are not even interested in reading the article now. They're just going to read the headline and they're just going to go straight to the comments and start commenting on the headline itself. Yeah. Which is engagement for them and they get paid more for that article. That's why they write that headline that way. So he says, to be honest, it's mostly positive reception is making me really relate to its main character. I also feel like I'm losing my mind. And uh, some critics and fans have declared it the best Marvel TV show yet. Um, And it's received plenty of praise for its freshness compared to some of the MCU's recent cookie cutter installments. Cough, Black Widow, cough. So that fucking was my first hackles are raised now. Like why random digs at Black Widow? Like the movie is perfectly serviceable. It's a character based movie, right? Like it's telling a story that's not world ending in order to deepen the storylines of other characters. And sure, it has some major like the introduction of the whole Black Widow group to the MCU just like fills it out more. But I mean, the world's a big fucking place, man. I don't even, I don't even think it's the worst 
Phase Four movie that's come out yet. Yeah, it was it was perfectly I mean, fine. Just to be fair, I like them all, but The Eternals was was yeah. worse than Black Widow. I thought. Sure, if you want, and I don't think this guy's anything good. And to actually, say about I like Black either. Widow, so there's that. I liked too. Black Widow too, so I'm you know immediately my hackles are raised just from that. But then he says, "What he what really irritated me is right here." He says, "In fact, my disinterest in Moon Knight has reached such a critical point." that I'm starting to question my commitment to the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Until now, I've dutifully consumed every movie and show with the MCU. And I'm starting to think, like, is that what you think the point of this, of watching these shows and movies is? Is that we're doing our duty? That, like... That you we have to watch that them. That we have to watch them. It's definitely not a requirement in anyone's life to watch them. I even feel like with the new phase of stuff, they're less connected. They're building out, but they're not like building towards anything yet. Like it's like phase one was. Yeah. Where it's like it's all these things, but nothing they're, really connects. They're until throwing the spaghetti at the wall, seeing what works and doesn't. You know. It, but like this idea of like they're they feel like they're owed something because they watched everything. Like they get some sort of completionist award for watching everything. And that aspect of it is disappointing them. So they're losing interest in the entire franchise that Marvel's built. And they're, they're like, at the end of the article, they say, they basically are like, I think from now on, I'm going to do what I do with Star Wars. Watch what looks interesting to me. That's, That's like, what you should so do at the, anyway. right? So basically your conclusion at the article is I'm going to behave like a normal fucking human being. <laughs> Congratulations. You figured out that fandom isn't all it's cracked up to be, you know, and that like basing your identity off of being a fan of something is going to lead inevitably to just sadness. There's the thing with the MCU right now too, which is like, they're sitting on the X-Men, but until the X-Men come up, you know, they really built the MCU off of mostly B-list characters in the comics. Like, they're obviously elevated now, but Captain America was not really A-list in the comics. He was super known, but, like, it was never the best-selling comic after World War II, you know? You had, like, Iron Man, which was all built off of. Iron Man was B-list, you know? Like, the yeah. Avengers were so big because they took a shitload of B-list characters and found a way to, like, put them together in a way where fans would buy that book. And then sometimes they would get into these other B-list characters. It was very targeted. It was not exactly what the Justice League did, which was the Justice League was like, let's take all our big superheroes and then like create this monster book. And Marvel was like, uh, let's get interest up in these other characters. Like the aims of the writers were different, you know, and the editors for Marvel. And so we are now past all of these B-list characters and we're now down to the C and D list. And I'm not judging. It's just like it's either C or D list or it's newer characters that don't have this like generational fame like Ms. Marvel. Right. Yeah. Like it's a really well selling book, but it's also newer. So if you haven't picked up a comic in the last, you know, I don't know, eight, nine years, you have no idea who the fuck Ms. Marvel is. Right. So we're past all of this. So we're going to get more and more shitty comments like this until they start rolling out the X-Men again. I just feel that in my soul right now. They even, well, and what's even funnier is <clears throat> they, they get to a section where they say Moon Knight is probably the worst example to date of a problem that started with Falcon and Winter Soldier and has been recurring ever since. Marvel TV shows often revolve around B-list, arguably often C-list. Yeah. Heroes <laughs> facing true. off against even more irrelevant villains in plots that ultimately appear inconsequential to the larger MCU. I'm going to go further, dude. Captain Marvel was kind of C-list yeah. and then got elevated recently well, in the but comics. See, the, now, Marvel itself, though, has become so big that, like, there are these characters that don't necessarily warrant their own movie or... Okay, I wouldn't even say that they don't warrant their own movie. They probably aren't going to garner enough interest for a movie, right? That's why they do something like a TV show that is essentially what? If you take a six episodes of Falcon and Winter Soldier, that's two movies, two hour and a nah, half. It's like a movie. Well, 
they were weren't they like forty five minute episodes? And there's six of them. So that's two ninety that's like minute three block. hours, three hours, three four and a half hours. So you, so get, short, you get like two short ass movies. <clears throat> okay, sure, yeah. sure. Okay, <laughs> two, two short two earnests. <laughs> <laughs> Falcon and Winter Soldier equals two earnests. Scared stupid and goes to camp. Probably too good with. Uh, or no, goes to prison and scared stupid. Yeah, but Anyways. I would al- I would also say it slightly loses sight of the fact that like Wanda got her own show and was definitely B list and B list for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I feel like she's on the A list now. Well, that's like, what that these show people was popular are. These enough. people aren't thinking of like the fact that Iron Man was a B or C list superhero in comic books when yeah. he got a movie made. He's in his mind, that's the A list. Captain America, right. fucking Hulk, Thor, Thor uh Iron Man. To be fair, Hulk, and the fact that there aren't Hulk was probably an A list or a long was, way. Hulk was A list. He's yeah. mad that it's not a Doctor Strange show and that the show is about like one woman's grief over the loss of her loved one and how she's very poorly dealing with her grief by holding an entire town hostage you know or even when it's something with like loki where it gets the ending i thought was fairly multiverse shattering you know it at least was like one facet of many things coinciding to cause realities to start crashing together that seems big to me i don't know yeah like and but then it's really what it comes right down to is how important it is, is how much you value these characters. Like if you really care a lot about Captain America's shield, then where it winds up is important to you. And you're going to put more weight onto Falcon and Winter Soldier, right? Just because you care about those characters. Like for me, like I like the multiverse cosmic weirdness. So Loki's hit that spot so far, scratch the itch the best. I was unsure about Moon Knight with the first episode, but with the second one, I'm in now. The second episode actually got me into it. And what I appreciate about this show is basically the things that this guy thinks sucks about this show. But my problem is that he is framing it in this obje- from this objective stance of like, this is a problem, as opposed to like, I don't really vibe with this because this is what I pref- what I get out of the MCU. This is what I want out of it. And I'm not getting that. That's what he should be saying. And I'm saying, like, Moon Knight is giving me what I want. The whole fact that, spoiler alert, Ethan Hawke goes to Mark Spector and is just like, hey, let's have a conversation. <laughs> I know what's going the fuck on. Like, you got this crazy god talking at your ass. You don't know what, you know, like... We're figuring out. You just got to split personality. You know? <laughs> I cut through all the bullshit. Have a mm. conversation, you know, and then it uh, inevitably devolves into action because it kind of has to. I will but, be honest. I have if it hasn't been abundantly clear throughout the run of the show, I kind of don't give a shit about anybody's opinions other than who's in the room, really. I mean, if I'm being honest, I do not care one iota about internet comments. Like, I don't know these people and I don't care about This is an internet comment, though. Right, and it's an article. This guy's getting paid to do this. But, like, That was the only reason I thought it was worth bringing up for the record. Right. No, and I'm not not ripping on you bringing (laughs) it up. I deal with... I feel like like you let them under your skin all the time and they're just going to get your click. That's all it is. So I just ignore it. I've gotten to the point where... um, there's a couple different ones on Facebook that like when I look at the news, every time it comes up, I'm like, don't show me any more of this. And like, I don't even deal with those articles hardly anymore because I'm just like, I'm done with it. Like fandom is so split into so many different arenas. There's nothing that everybody likes anymore. And I'm fine with that because it means the stories that I get into, I really get into because there's so many more stories flying around. I just don't have time for like, well, these fucking, like this. you know, to be perfectly because, honest. Because, like, let's be honest, dude. The framing of the Black Widow thing, like, when you're saying that, like, it's what's not said in that article that's very, very clear is, like, I don't like the diversity that Marvel's doing. Like, that's hanging over the entire article. It's hanging over almost all of these articles over and over again. It's like, I don't like these characters because blah, 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 blah. And then you start to, like, look at the examples they give, and it's like, Okay, so you brought up the woman one. You brought up the one with, like, the black guy at the center. You brought, Like, over and over again, dude. It's just, like, it's coded way of 
saying their bullshit and spouting their hate. And I just like don't have time for these motherfuckers. I like what I like. And sometimes you guys don't like what I like. And I'm fine having it out with you guys. But you guys are my friends too, you know? And I know listeners no, are upset we, sometimes too. Yeah. But And we respect each other. Like, you know, we do have different different opinions. Yeah, dude. We are polar opposites on Power of the Dog, for example. That's fine. Yeah. I, but we can have an intelligent conversation about it. Right. These are not intelligent conversations. This is usually like, a, I feel this way and I feel like I'm being shorted because I want this thing. And I'm tired of hearing that. I'm okay with pointing out, I guess, like shortcomings of plot or character development. But it's when you start to get into the like, I don't like it because it should be this. I'm just like, shut up, dude. What did you think about the first two episodes of Moon Knight? I loved them. I've kind of gotten at a place where I've gotten so much Marvel content at this point. I'm not going over the moon over anything, but I don't feel like the quality is any less in this. In fact, I felt like the quality is pretty big on this one. And it just purely comes down to Ethan Hawke and it comes down to Oscar Isaac. Just enjoy watching a show with these two. And they can do certain things that some of the other Marvel actors don't do. Like you mentioned about Ethan Hawke sitting down and having a conversation with him, right? Yeah. You need a good actor to do that in a superhero thing and keep you engaged. And Ethan Hawke can do that. You know, like he's good at watching Oscar Isaac screaming at himself in a mirror. I enjoyed the shit out of that. I thought the second episode was way better than the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I enjoyed the first episode, but I do think they were intentionally not showing things to like tease you out, to like yeah. put you in that perspective. But I was very happy they broke out of that quick in the second episode because you get like the first 20 25 minutes are kind of exposition in the second episode and then they finally like blow it open and it's action and it just keeps being action and i really enjoyed that i yeah. like the uh the scene with the where they're going through like the little utopian area and it was almost like a willy wonka sort of thing happening i thought that was a lot of fun i kind of start to tune out when it becomes actiony and i do think that the baffled like stammering shtick that he's got is kind of going on a little too long. Yeah. And he spends like almost, he's almost spends an extra beat every time he's trying to do like his, like, wow, look, I just punched that guy now that I'm in a suit and got powers, you know? And then he's like overconfident. It's kind of cartoonish almost. Yeah. It's kind of the maskish. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of the maskish. Yeah, it's it's got he it's got it's, hints of he it. It's like a dialed crazy, down Jim Carrey, but yeah, yeah, a little bit, just a little tiny bit. Like imagine he doesn't have like the reality warping powers of the mask. He's certainly like super durable, super strong. Yeah, you know, I do think a lot of this like going on a little too long with the stammering. I'm kind of hoping. Most of that is in the rearview mirror now. I mean, I don't know. I guess I don't have reason <laughs> to think it is, but I feel like it was like I'm losing time. What's going on? He needs to gain. I can't believe that like it. all these people are after me, and then it's like, who is this guy inside of me? I'm not going to give him control, and then like, wow, I'm a superhero. I can do all these things, and so I'm hoping that it's intentionally all out in those first two episodes. Like I've done this before on the podcast, talking about how I look at these Marvel shows dividing it up like a three act structure. And so this is supposed to be six episodes. So I'm looking at it as like the first two episodes of the first act. Yeah. I'm hoping now we're getting into like the meat of the story. Staying in the Marvel universe. So they just finished <laughs> what cutting if? the, uh, we're talking about what if Thor love and thunder trailer, and they're supposed to be releasing it within the next 24 hours. They okay. already broke a record for the, like the shortest amount of time before the trailer releases for the movie for the MCU. Not that this means anything, but I have seen article after article saying some version of that for the last two weeks. And I'm like, enough, they'll drop it when they drop it. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. But it yeah. makes me think that it's going to deal with something that's happening. Because the last time that happened, it was didn't it involve, like they were waiting for Loki to kind of conclude before they dropped Spider-Man. Probably. I, I felt like that was a big I mean, deal at the time. Which also goes against that rent that critics theories because like there's stuff in the shows that they don't want to spoil movies with, you know, and vice versa. They like intentionally do that sometimes because there's important stuff in all of it. Yeah. Like, but also just like what's wrong with deepening characters, you know, Hawkeye doesn't tell a, a fucking big ass story. 
but it introduces some characters. Yeah. And it deepens some characters. And it, it and you have some fun with some characters. I'm glad that the stakes aren't that high in most of these shows. You know, cuz the stakes shouldn't always be world enders. Yeah, you can't you can't maintain that kind of a a high, you know? You have to have like smaller stories. It's where the t- that's what belongs on television is smaller stories that are more character focused. <laughs> yeah. I heard <laughs> like, the, it's like, God damn it. I heard the midnight boys talking about this, but I thought they did a good job of breaking this down, which is the movies are like the crossover events, like the, the big events that you have in comics. And then the TV shows, each episode is like an issue of a comic, right? Like it, it's not the big crossover comics. It's like, an issue of Moon Knight is each episode. I kind of like that, that they've like lowered the stakes because like, or otherwise you get burned no, no, out. It gets a, uh, bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you're like, where do you go? It's you like can't a, get any it's bigger. Like a, it's but a it's a also collection. like every time the world's ending all the time. And it, when you're at such a high level, anything below that just feels empty. But if you have a lot of that low level turbulence, then, you know, you can actually gain interest on those those low level stories and those are interesting. And you I think that when you get time with these characters and the TV shows and get to know them better, then when they go through these bigger events even if they don't get as much screen time, it means it has a bet it me it's more meaningful for you. Yeah. It's more impactful during the movie when you're watching it. And then if you haven't watched all that television stuff and you watch the movie and a character shows up and it still means something for the movie, it's not like it's meaningless. People just have weird expectations in, anymore, you know? It's strange where movies have But it's gone, also man. a new, we're in it's... a kind of a new frontier with the MCU. Never before have so many different TV shows, movies all been intentionally in one big shared universe telling one sort of sprawling story you know yeah this is new territory it's weird where we're at right now because you can't really do well in the theaters unless you're a big franchise movie but then like marvel is branching out with tv like dcu and star wars are branching out with tv like your biggest fictional playgrounds are they can't be contained by just movies anymore they're like invading in the into the tv as well but then you get these little tiny movies and they have to go to like streaming and stuff. It's just weird the way that the landscape has shifted so much in the last It's 10 not years. like you can't get movie a movie made if it's not a uh franchise movie because how who You can, gonna, but it's gonna be bought well, out by Netflix no, or Amazon. I'm, well, they're gonna finance it, sure. They're the new they're the new people that fund it. That's what I'm things. saying. That's like just the, that's just money coming from a different spot. That's not like indicative of anything. No, it's coming from a different but spot, you, but it's harder to see those movies on a movie screen, is what I'm saying. I'm not even yeah, saying yeah, no, I'm not even saying it's bad. I'm we're just talking saying about like it's weird. Yeah. Like that's I kept hearing for years that blockbusters were gonna blot out everything else. Well, they're the only and thing keeping theaters absol- alive. Right. Period. They've absolutely done that. But part of that is because they've moved the entire model to blockbusters because Because they're biggest- the only thing that will keep them from going under. No, because theaters the would not biggest, survive on Oscar movies. <laughs> the, the biggest, the biggest media companies who like put money behind those, they're not putting money behind the really big book that comes out anymore. I mean, even books have like completely changed in a way. Yeah. I mean, like, like we were talking a couple weeks ago, Carl, uh, not on mic for better and for worse. Right. But we're talking about how like a big book would come out and you would talk about it with your friends and you'd be passing the book back and forth. And it was yeah. like an ongoing conversation. And like, that just doesn't really happen that much anymore. Uh, it still happens in a lot of circles. In circles, in but certain types of books. I guess I'm looking at the at the zeitgeist here, like the overall thing. But okay, that's perfect. What you said there, though, in circles, that's what's happened. Is like everything is fragmented, so that like these little movies can't really survive on the big screen anymore. With like those mid level budgets have gone away. They don't make a big budget movie unless it's based off of some kind of IP anymore. For the most part, all of that shit has just changed the way it does it. And theaters, because they've like trained moviegoers, because they keep putting out blockbusters and like putting all their money on it, because that's where you can get like half a billion dollars profit is like with these big budget movies, right? Nobody wants to do it with like 20 movies that are like mid budget and like make a profit that way. They want it all in one big hit. So 
you funnel all your resources over there. And it's like Moon Knight is a part of this now, too, because it's shifting again to where these big budget franchise things are starting to like leak out on the streaming services, as well as like the Oscar movies and stuff. So I'm wondering what it looks like for movie theaters after this, because if you're talking like your art house theater that you see them to all go away. (laughs) Yeah, I'm done going to movie theaters. The only reason that I'm going to go see Doctor Strange in the theaters is the only reason is because I want to see it with my friends at the same time as them. And I'm not going to be able to convince them to come to my house, watch pirated version. You know, (laughs) I want to see it when it comes out. It won't be available on streaming the day it comes out. And I want to see it with my friends. That's the only thing. If I could convince them to wait and we all just watch it when it comes out, I would try to do it. But I, I, I understand that these movies have, you know, the expectation of that is nil. I would also say that you're in the popular opinion on this and I'm not even like criticizing it. This isn't even me lamenting it. It's just noticing how the business is shifting. Like it's completely changed the way that we talk about podcasts. I mean, dude, five years ago, we wouldn't have had a Batman podcast where I was the only one that watched it. And like two people were waiting for it to hit TV in like a month. That would have been unthinkable. What I want to see years ago is I want to see the big ass theaters that are like multiplex, like the shopping malls of theaters go away. I want to see little tiny ass theaters come back that show a different movie every fucking day. Just weird ass shit throughout the day. Just let's play some weird old shit. And like they'll do Monty Python and fucking just weird shit. And give me movies that are worth seeing in the theater that weren't made like Fast and Furious 30 or whatever we're on now. You know, give me just like, yeah. If, that shit. if we're going into nostalgia, give me if, nostalgia. If we're going into what we want, <laughs> like it, it is, it is what I was younger. Highlander. Like the model when I was younger was you had your blockbuster and that would stay in theaters for a long time because it had one screen. And then you had a couple more screens with other movies and they usually got a couple of weeks to, to get a chance to get an audience. That's what I would like to see. Like a couple of movies in the theater all the time. They're not all big blockbuster movies like i want to see things that challenge me a bit i want to see auteur directors on the screen but it's just a harder thing to see on a movie screen anymore they're all coming to streaming services so i don't know it's it's weird and we can say like well they're living on streaming services and they're okay but i don't know how how much longer that's going to last either because with all the superhero fare and star wars and all of this shit like coming on to streamers and the streamers becoming more and more dominant It makes me wonder when, like, for example, Netflix is going to give up on getting a best picture and they're going to start focusing on, like, we need the next big franchise. Let's just funnel all our money into (laughs) the big franchise. Yeah. Well, you know, I speaking of that, their genre fiction is pretty up and down, like hit and miss. Yeah. But I watched season two of Umbrella Academy. I'd watched season one a long time ago when it came out. Thought it was good. Watched uh, Denver got season two because I didn't even have Netflix at the time. Season three is supposed to be coming out soon. Yeah. So I thought I'd watch season two in anticipation of it. It was fucking good, dude. It was really, really good. And I was super impressed by even the characters that kind of annoy me because like the one that can talk to dead people. God damn it. He is a fucking whining (laughs) Haley Joel Osmond? No, (laughs) definitely not. He, I forget the name of the actor, but he was originally, he's, he was originally in the show Misfits, the BBC show or whatever channel Four is a UK uh, superhero show. Also good. And he was great in that. In this one, he's like, it's just like, you know, everybody, all the characters have their different flaws. And I think it's that Klaus's flaws are probably the ones that, that hit closest to home for me. So they rub me the wrong way the most because I see myself in it too much. <laughs> like I see the wrong parts of myself in his character. Like, yeah, I like because they start out like, season two, he like basically starts a cult. Yeah. <laughs> he's never making the right decisions and he's never thinking about anybody else. Those aren't the things I see in myself, but those are the things I don't like about him. So maybe that's not the problem. Maybe I don't see myself in him so much. I uh, He annoys me. <laughs> but also like in the same way that that first episode of uh, of what you call it with the, the characters from Big Mouth. 
the imagination. Oh, HR? H, whatever. Yeah. Human resources. Human resources. That main character really rubbed me the wrong way, mostly because characters would talk to her and she'd like, it was literally just not paying any attention. And that is just like such a disrespectful to be like, oh God, I don't know. They just, (laughs) they create these characters that don't deserve people to put their faith in them. And then you watch people put their faith in them anyways. And then supposedly some of the, some of these characters redeem themselves over the course of the story, but I don't always buy it. (laughs) It's sometimes it's not enough for me. (laughs) And you know, does that mean the writer didn't do their job as a storyteller? Not necessarily, you know, Uh, maybe I'm just too picky or something. So this reminds me, I wanted to talk about Atlanta because I had you guys watch an episode. Oh, Atlanta. Yeah. yeah and I, I don't want to pass it by. I don't want to yeah, waste your guys' time either. So Atlanta, I believe it's dropped five episodes now. And I'm going to talk about three very briefly before we talk about the first one, which was a standalone. But in the continuing story, they've been doing really weird, interesting things with race and surrealism, which they always do in Atlanta. But they had one episode where Zaza Beach shows up and she's wandering around with uh, Donald Glover's friend. And they wind up going to this cult and they watch this guy being killed in front of them. They're like, what the fuck? And then the B story is like, Donald Glover it, like, goes and bails his boss out of jail, who's a rapper, and like he has to go get 24 grand for him. So he goes and talks to the promoter of the show. He's like, I need that up front. And he's like, sure. And like brings it out of a cash box and he hands it to his boss. And he just goes outside and just casually like flings it in the air in front of all the fans that are gathered by the jail and just keeps walking on. He had him take 24 grand out just to throw it in the air and like show his money, you know? And then they go to the show and they keep seeing all these people in blackface and they're saying that it's like some kind of a tradition for like a something with a child in a chimney. And they go to play the show and then they look out in the crowd and the rapper's like i'm not feeling it tonight i'm not gonna play it and he's like why and he like peeks open the curtain and there's just thousands of people out and in blackface but it's not just blackface it's like they have the lipstick the, and like the, the minstrel show yeah yeah it's like minstrel show like blackface and so they just go and leave and then the promoter's pissed off at donald glover so he goes to kick his ass but he loses him in a crowd and he kicks the shit out of a guy in blackface thinking it's him and donald glover <laughs> is just watching him from the side just shaking his head they have another episode where they go to party at this tech billionaire's house who's like in Europe and he's there's just this really shitty crack house and they go inside it and they go down a long hallway and open a door and then it turns out there's this whole super fancy apartment complex below that he just has it disguised as this thing and he's got a real tree sprouted up in it and and at one point, Paperboy goes to, like, play poker with him. And the guy loses a bunch of money to him. But he won't fucking give up the money. And so at the end of the episode, like, the rapper's out at the tree fucking cutting it with the chainsaw <laughs> to get his money from him. <laughs> while the guy's watching from the window and just refusing to give him money. It's just, like, they have all of these, like, weird things that are going on in the show they also had standalone episode in the last one it follows this white guy this entire time and black people get reparations and so this black lady is like following him around everywhere he goes with a bullhorn screaming that she wants her three million dollars because it turns out that his grandparents like own her grandparents they have this really interesting back and forth i mean it's done in a very ridiculous way but there's a part where he goes to this hotel because like his house has been taken over and he doesn't know what to do and he's talking with this other white guy who's lost his house and he's like you know it kind of makes sense because we said that we built this country and then it turns out we didn't build this country all these other people built the country but we left them nothing and so now like the curse is over like we don't have to be under the curse anymore so the guy's kind of contemplating it as the other guy walks outside and just fucking shoots himself like falls in a pool and you're like what the fuck like and at the very end of the episode that guy who is like working this big white collar job is then in a restaurant in the back with all the other minorities like making all of this food and then bringing it out for all the rich black folk that are in the restaurant (laughs) and it's like I love shit like this but I think the best one of all of them was the episode I had you guys watch and who wants to break this down I just did a lot of talking. Oh, boy. Uh, little black boy at school uh, learns 
is in class and he learns that he's going to the class gets to go to see black panther 2 so he starts gets all excited and starts dancing and cheering and uh that gets him in trouble somehow for being he's standing on his desk dancing and he won't stop yeah (laughs) so the counselor calls his parents and his mom shows up with his grandfather i think and they really just like give him a hard time i guess you could say and they really drill because they're drilling into him like you have to act with common sense because you're you're only acting like this to show off for the white basically and <laughs> they will they'll kill you they don't they'll care if you live or die yeah, basically they as much murder, they'll they'll kill you if you act a fool and then the grandfather like gives him three slaps not even hard ones like and with purpose and meaning and intent not like not like out of anger but like very much like to focus sort of it was performative yeah, yeah. and uh the the counselor calls services to do a welfare check when that happens the mom just instantly <laughs> yeah she like the accuses CPS the shows kid, up c- accuses the kid of of complaining and grabs his his backpack and just throws him out throws him and says take him <laughs> take him and he winds up in foster care with these two uh they look they liberal yeah they code for hippies right like because they're, they're making their own uh, food yeah and, they're two white food is very they're two white lesbian (laughs) ladies and they have two other black children three other black children oh okay (laughs) one of which at least at the very least was adopted from africa is like was a refugee they live in just like the most insane living conditions which on the surface are being peddled as like an alternative lifestyle but the reality is that they have no money and no income neither of them work and they just like sell shit at the farmer's market like homemade kombucha yeah that nobody fucking wants but they're also having them farm all of this stuff out in the yard and singing gospel songs while they're doing it yeah like they live in this delusional world that they're doing good but it's not even a good it's not like a good facade for themselves either because by the end of the episode a lady has like he tries to run away and goes to the cops and is like they're not feeding me and the white cop looks at the white ladies and instantly is like oh he's just tired you better get this boy home but then uh the neighbors one of the neighbors called child so child services shows up again this and, time it's a black woman that and the, shows up and the black woman that shows up like instantly notices that everything is wrong and you can and you're, you're getting this cathartic this cathartic moment feels like it's coming didn't it didn't it like oh <laughs> he's like, gonna get out of this i should say right before they get that too like the reason i was alluding to the them like uh, doing the farming and stuff is like they were absolutely doing a sharecropping thing, right? Like they were showing the kids like out there picking in the fields while they're sitting there drink, sipping iced tea and having them sing all of these songs. Like it yeah. was the biggest allusion to slavery. It was pretty like, fucked up. Yeah. Anyway. And uh, so before the lady leaves, because she tells the boy, I'm going to get you out of here. They're like, can we talk to you in private? And then the next thing you know, they're like, all right, we're going on a trip. We're leaving. And at one point, you see the clipboard that the lady had been writing on. Like like, in the trash, basically. Yeah. And so that makes me worry for that woman because that all happens off camera. Yeah. And then they're on their trip. They're on their trip and they pull over at one point. They're at like a rest stop. And the the meeker of the two women, the one that wants them to call all the kids to call her mom, which is insane right out of the gates. That was like the first thing she said, call me mom, which is like, "Mm, what? It's foster care. He has a mom. What the fuck (laughs) are you talking about? You know, but like uh, she starts kind of unraveling. And they go to let their dog free, right? The dog yeah. that they treat better than the kids. Yeah. yeah. And well, that the one lady treats. Yeah. is like, and she has this whole thing about like, uh, why didn't anybody stop us? Like they adopted the first one and they knew they were doing the right thing. And so then they did it again and again and again. And then that cost money to have children in the house and they, neither of them had work. And the bills started piling up. And and it was that one of those things where it's like, yeah, what you're doing is seems like an objectively good thing. 
people are less inclined to intervene because it's good what you're doing, even if it's really not good, even if it's really harmful. Right. Cause it's performatively good. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and like, so they fucking drive the bus, their van off the bridge. But they have this moment while they're going up where like, the boy looks at another boy, and without speaking, they just have he gives him a look. Like, oh, they yeah. give each other a nod, like An this amazing, white lady gonna kill there's him. There's all the sub subtitles just for what they're saying with the look. That was very well done. Yeah, just and then like, one girl had all these her hair all braided up, and she's like, "These braids are fucking killing me." <laughs> it was like her yeah. subtitle. Uh, now I didn't see when they go to crash off. I didn't see the other kids get out of the car. I didn't either. But but he's still in the car, and like right before they go off the bridge, he like pops up and he like says something, and I didn't catch what he said. But then he like jumps out the he drops out the back of the hatch of the the SUV or whatever it is with their dog in his place. So they had like grabbed the dog at the rest area and so put it back in the car. He put the dog back in the car. Yeah. That's what he did. And he yeah. says like. Guess what? Because they knew exactly what was coming. Yeah. These kids were not stupid. Should talk about the beginning really quick, too, that we kind of missed. There's like this scene where this white guy and this black guy are in this boat and they're going fishing. Oh, I forgot all about that scene. And they were talking about how they like connected. It was this. But it's not because it, that's the river that the white lady crashes them into, right? Yeah, like, it's right they, at that bridge oh. they're fishing under. So they talk at the beginning about how this what town was flooded. Is. It was like flooded because it was basically the spot of black prosperity. And th- there was black people still in the river or whatever. And this guy was talking about what a curse being white was. And and then all of a sudden he's like, looks like a fucking monster. And these hands are like grabbing them like into the water and so then when you see that crash boy walks back right like sees his mom and it's basically like it's all fine now like he learned his lesson right he definitely has like been on that was it was a journey it was the uh it's like a fucked up version of the hero's journey or of like the odyssean you know you go out and you return home having learned something Basically. But I also thought it was really interesting. Like when you watch the CPS people, it's like the white people immediately judging the black family. And then when you see the black CPS lady, she's immediately judging the white family. Right. There was just so much about race. Honestly, I didn't. I didn't see that as a parallel because. But I would say. First of all, it was wasn't it. I thought it was like a. I thought the first CPS lady was like Hispanic or Asian, not white. And Man, she didn't jump to any, she people. didn't jump to any conclusions. Right, the mother just the mother the kid out. She's like, you CPS on me? She saw that she <laughs> was CPS, and she got as far as this is a welfare check, and that was as far as the first welfare right. check. Yeah, went. yeah. The fact that, like, I think it was the Asian counselor but at the school to call CPS. In the yes, first place. but what I was getting at is like when you see them at the door, it's not just the CPS. Lady. It's the fact it's that like, there's the two, it's cops two there. white cops yeah, there yeah. too. Like they're going to check on a black family, so it's immediately like. They're working under the assumption that there's something wrong. Whereas when the black lady shows up, she just starts looking around, just immediately sees things wrong. But she's not just she's not judging things. She is seeing things that are wrong. I don't I don't. She's seeing things for what they are. No, I'm not saying that she was judging. I'm saying that, like, they do this reversal where they show it in different positions and how it's handled. Right. And like. It's interesting to me that like the way that they see it is like the black family is like, I'm not even putting up with this shit because they probably know what the result's going to be anyway. So it's just like, fuck this, like go out, learn your lesson kind of thing. But when the black lady shows up to do the welfare check, she sees things wrong immediately. And it's there, like it's clearly there, you know? Right. And well, the only thing keeping that whole operation going was the other CPS lady that didn't show up and that that lady showed up instead. Right. Like yeah. they they mention, oh, it, what why, happened to Susan or whatever? The, yeah. Yeah. They say like the regular. Why not? Why Susan isn't here? You know, because Susan was in on their bullshit, you know. Right. It just shows it. Susan turn, was probably white. <laughs> it just shows Karen. it every turn that these white folks are like making judgments and they're getting away with it. Like they, they have privilege. They're getting yeah, away. And with when they showed up, with, showed up to the, the white lady's house, they didn't have two cops right behind them either. Right. 
Yeah, that was, I wasn't trying that to was say a, it was yeah, equal. Yeah, it's not equal. I, I, I thought the way that they juxtaposed it was showing the differences in privilege between them, right? Like, black woman doesn't show up guns ablaze and she shows up and sees things wrong. CPS lady shows up. She's already going to pull them out. And it's, the black lady saw CPS showing up and assumed that it was going to go poorly. And the white ladies saw CPS show up and they were shocked that anything could be a problem. Right. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Yes. That's what I like about Atlanta, though, is like it makes me think a lot, but it's also surreal and just crazy ass humor running through it, too, because that episode is like harrowing. It's also very harrowing funny at parts. Stressful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, depressing. <laughs> depressing. That, that poor De- kid eating that chicken just was disgusting. That fucking disgusting food. So they took like, like drumsticks and just rolled them in flour and then microwaved it. And that was they, <laughs> fried well, chicken. They, they, didn't, they, they didn't know how to cook. Neither of them knew how to cook, but they were too proud to admit it. I don't know why they didn't. Like Those kids probably could at least make macaroni and cheese like why not even just like let those kids feed themselves oh there's no way that it was so bizarre there's no way that house would have macaroni and cheese well i'm just either. saying you know what i mean yeah they like, could still do it there's like there's a cheap there's food stamps and shit like it was a sur- it was definitely like a a, a fictional world that this story took yeah. place in that was being told for the it was everything. There was, was definitely commentary. Yeah. Everything about this. I bet you that the, the selection of the food was intentional. Yeah. And I just don't understand the specific significance of all the details in that. Yeah. I don't always catch everything Atlanta's but it's laying like, down. But. It's like Donald Glover right there. That's his style. Like when you watch This Is America, the music video, This Is America, it's like you're being constantly bombarded with ref- details that are references to like clever references to things that are important and thematic and like only serve to sort of deepen the, the meaning of it all. Let's get into Severance. I know you already talked about the beginning half of Severance, so maybe we focus on <laughs> on the the last half of Severance. Oh boy, they did do the one thing, one thing that really I, I guess it didn't bother me, but it does, but it doesn't, but it does, but it doesn't. Which is they ended it on something of a cliffhanger. Yeah, the cliffhanger is that like I guess it's not really. It would have been a worse cliffhanger if it had cut off right before he said. It's She's like, alive. It's the cliffhanger <laughs> is what's going to happen to him when they get yeah. back in the office. That's the cliffhanger. Or even just like with what happens right at the end. Man, what's going to happen next is pretty intense. Pretty crazy. I'll like, tell you one thing that won't happen <laughs> is like severance is not going to end because. Helly didn't save. Because Helly goes off in the press conference like. That's not going to end Helly didn't save humanity from severance. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not going to end this. It was a fun twist that she was the one who... She's the granddaughter of the founder of the company. Right. And so she's partially responsible. Her, her doing her severance was an act of uh, PR, basically. Yeah. Her <laughs> whole experience is like a been turned into a book. Yeah, it's like when you watch that at the beginning, when she's coming in, they, they're like, thank you for doing this. This means so much. And like the way that they talk about it, you feel like she's trying to help the world in some way as if she's like a really gifted, you know, computer tech yeah. or whatever. But it's like, no, she's doing it because it's all PR. It's all bullshit. She tried to kill herself. <laughs> I think this show is brilliant. Like I caught up. I watched all the episodes. It is so good at identifying what happens in the corporate structure. And just putting this dark sci-fi bend to it. Yeah. Like, forget so about twisted. the splitting of the minds thing for a second. It's like, it's the things with the the rewards, for example, where you have, like, John Turturro is really into the, the philosophy well, the rewards of the company. Don't rewar- the rewards don't work on John Turturro. The rewards right. work on They Dylan. work on, on the other on guy. Dylan. But it's like John Turturro's really in the philosophy of the company and gets into it. Yeah, that's it. what and motivates then, him. Right. And then the other guy likes the finger traps or whatever because it's just well, like... It's that guy has he's, he's gotten flipped. several waffle parties. Yes. And we know what constitutes a waffle party. <laughs> Waffles. <laughs> and then <laughs> Right. <laughs> you get sex. But you have to do it wearing a mask of Kier. And the f- the four women are dressed up as the four furies and you've got a whip that has all of the the pillars of the company 
while you're getting sex, you're also like, that's the company. Like the company motto is also then distilled. Their philosophy of the company is expressed even in. Or actualizing the idea that you lose a spouse to work, right? Like that's what they do with. They don't. They don't. They're that version of them. There is no what spouse. What are you talking about? They you know what exist. I'm talking about. And I'm saying the outside to the any the outside world does not exist. Right, but that's what I'm saying is like okay, so they didn't sacrifice it. I'm what I'm saying the is they Audi, didn't, they didn't make no choices. The Audi like, lost his spouse, and it turns out that she is. Oh, you're this talking company. about the plot twist. Yeah. yeah, but like that is actualizing the idea that like you're married to somebody or dating somebody who is like married to their job and puts too much into their job. Like, but they're just actualizing it in the show. Like he literally lost his wife to work. Yeah. And he lost his wife in a car accident before he got his job, which means that she didn't die in the car accident, but they intentionally took her body and were experimenting on her. She probably was in a coma and they wanted to experiment on how severed brains in comas work if right. they could like wake her up i'm just saying I bet you that i'm just saying the Audi metaphor side, of it like uh, yeah i, I really like the metaphor well but you it. brought up the plot twist so yes. now i'm obsessed with that <laughs> again because okay. like when you first meet her you don't know you just know her as miss casey the wellness uh officer and she like when you need some mental health they put you in a room with her and she tells you facts about your audi like your audi likes ducks your audi uh, can play hit baseballs you know and then your sometimes audi is very kind and sometimes, appreciates kindness done onto them yeah, she always then, says it but then like sometimes voice. if you perk up a little too much she'll say like please enjoy all your facts equally you know like even that like using information about yourself as a commodity to motivate you to work harder. Like when Dylan is in the last episode, he's like got the fucking switches flipped and be- they need two switches flipped at the same time. So he's like stretched across the doorway, just like bare. And his throughout the whole episode, his fucking glasses are inching farther and farther off the tip of his nose. And also adds, he is in and a, he's sweating. He's in a, I don't think it was lost to me that he's in a Christ pose and he's basically sacrificing his well-being like at the company for them to like go out and well, say, they're everybody. all sacrificing their well-being. He's sacrificing he's, himself he to didn't like get save to, everybody. He didn't get to meet. He doesn't get to meet his Audi. No, son. that's what I'm saying. He's sacrificing yeah, yeah. himself to save everybody. It was like it was a pretty pretty heavy handed like save, Christ metaphor. Save, not save. It's not saving. Anyways. <laughs> but anyways, like while that's happening and he's like tied a belt around a rope like a uh, a leather belt around the door to keep it from opening and the security guy is like cutting through it and he's just like uh hey i'll give you some another waffle party we'll get you some more perks you know there's stuff you don't even know about and then so he's tempting him and then as he, he's in his christ-like pose and then he <laughs> says like fuck you i want to know about my kid and then which by the way then doesn't even can- look like it was this kid because they were like sending the kid out to hug him and he was like no not right now you know what i mean like they were setting up that situation too but anyways that's like anyways he goes there's two other kids you got two other kids you want to know their names like he starts like trying to tempt him just with information about his outside life like and i mean imagining that severance happens right imagine trying to imagine being the any like i don't know how anybody even got past the conceptualization phase of this project let alone actually implementing it in the world <laughs> because it because it, the idea they itself, show brain surgery at the beginning of the show the crazy like it part, starts with brain surgery the crazy part is that like it it does seem like we care so little about people that we'd be willing to do this to them knowing that it can't possibly like at the point where this show is taking place severance has been a thing for almost a decade at minimum So, like, the stuff that, say, Mark is going through, he's in year two, which means it's been a thing for almost five years before he started doing, you know? Like, uh, we know that uh, Irving, John Turturro's character, he's worked there for seven years. By the way, him and Christopher Walken get in so much screen time. Irving and Bert. It was just fantastic, dude. (laughs) Bert and Irving. (laughs) They're so good. 
They're both so good. And you it was like amazing. Watch. I love that they were like, we're just going to set them against each other and like have them do scenes together. Like that was fantastic. Just two of the most famous actors in the whole thing. And they're like, yep, we're going to just put them. Why in the wouldn't we put together. them in a room together? Yeah, Jesus. it was great, man. And it they're just, in love. It was <laughs> thrilling watching that on a show, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great. And then like the whole sequence where Bert's retiring and his Audi is like delivering this message and saying like, I'm going to miss you all, even though I've never met any of you. Dude. And I have no idea who any of you are. Yeah, every time he's talking, he's just like, and you all touched me. I think i, I get that general feeling like, like everything is like going he goes, he's almost like letting them know like but you don't really mean anything to me because i yeah. can't remember you he can't help but undercut everything <laughs> yeah. he says in that like awkward grandpa mode that he's kind of in these days <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's so great and uh, and then Taturo irving rightly calling out like him retiring is his any dying essentially going to sleep and never waking up you know, which is terrifying, you know, and to imagine trying to imagine like at a certain point an any almost does deserve existence when they've lived long enough, they deserve not to be turned off. And so like, but what's crazy is they also don't shouldn't be forced to do a hundred hundred percent of the work. So like, like none of this should ever happen. No part of this should yeah, ever happen. The, you also should not be going just, and it's very conception. You should not be going sleepwalking through a third of your life. Like, I don't think this show's ever going to convince me that there's, uh, that this is a morally, uh, not a morally dubious decision. To make. I don't think that's the objective of the no, show. No, I think no, the, no. The objective of the show is to say the like, is, Hey, don't, don't like sleepwalk your life away. This isn't even Don't a show. Don't go into a corporation. This isn't even a show. I was going to say it's that's not even necessarily a show that's like uh, you, this. The point is not like this should happen. This shouldn't happen. It's more like, hey, stuff like this happens in the workplace every single day. Like this literal thing may not be happening, yeah. but like versions of this are happening. Every is, single day. This is, people lose their identity. This is people, classic sci-fi. It's, yeah, it's like, showing it's so a good. problem in the world that's happening all the time. And it's building that case for why this problem should not exist. And when there's action, there was like a guy got hit in the head with a bat and he just was dead. One hit from the in the back of the head with a bat and he's just dead. And Mark is losing his shit. Like, what the fuck did you just do? You know, it's not like a punch, punch, kick, backflip. Oh, you hit me in the face with like. Well, and then I mean, to be fair, I didn't. It's Adam Scott against this dumpy guy. Like, no, <laughs> Adam Scott is. Or it's no, it's, black it's, lady. It's, it's the doctor. Right, it's a woman the against doc- this guy. But. It's a woman sneaks up behind a guy. Hits him in the back of the head with a bat and kills him. Yeah. And, but the thing is, is that's like realistic violence. You can't hit a person in the head with a bat as hard as you can and not kill them. Or at least give them brain damage. Yeah. They're going down. They're, pro- they may not instantly die from it, but they're probably dead from the wound. Do that leg shake. If it's thing. not treated at all. Yeah. If you just leave yeah. them, you know, or you're, <laughs> they're getting <laughs> and, concussed. But it's not least. like, like I've said before, my big issues with, Philip K. Dick adaptations is that they take out that stuff that or they take out the stuff that's good about Philip K. Dick and replace it with like a motorcycle chase or a Kung Fu action sequence. And that's just fundamentally misunderstanding the point of uh, the Philip K. Dick style. Yeah. Instead. And severance gets it. Yeah. They're not only delivering this metaphor in front of you, like actualized in some crazy sci-fi way, but they have music that does a lot of heavy oh, lifting God. in that show too. Like that music, everything, that about soundtrack that is, is so just good. so good at like the set design, the cinematography, their attention to detail with the computers. Did you know that the, the computer programs, they all, they're all functional. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're very simple. It's, it's Apple they're very simple it. programs. They're not, <laughs> like complex they're pixel you know it looks like a regular nintendo game their computer game it's old school oh so my god when she they when they meet their shit. quota yeah when they meet their quota they show like the founder like, comes in in this like i could i have to say like 90s style, it's like kind of like super nintendo sierra. looking Remember thing sierra games? and he's just like quest thank, for glory thank you so much for completing it you have like like I, right in my world i 
Love you, I Alex love S. You, or whatever. L E R. Yeah. It's, it's the name she put in. It's not even her actual name. Fucking crazy, dude. Yeah. Okay. I cannot wait for season two. It was the season two was announced day before the finale came out. And so in a year or two, when it comes out, whenever we'll talk about it again. All right. Take it easy. Please rate and review our show. Sign up for an Anchor account. You can leave voice messages through a link in the description of the podcast, or you can answer our poll questions. Reach out to us through Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs or Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs. Email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Aaron Donaldson and Alex Small. A podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions, too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void.